Welcome to the I Will Teach You a Language podcast, weekly doses of language learning tips and motivation to help you become fluent in any language. With me, Ollie Richards. Hello. Hello. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the I Will Teach You a Language podcast. Okay, thank you very much for joining me today. If you are new here, welcome. This is where we talk about language learning and learning languages in efficient ways. Uh, please subscribe to the show so that you get future episodes delivered straight to your listening device, whatever that may be. And um, all right, today's question has got me so excited that I'm just going to get straight into it, I think, because it is, it is right up my alley in more ways than one. Uh, but before we do that, I would, of course, like to thank the wonderful sponsors of the show, to people that keep the lights on. It is the wonderful italki. And with italki, what you can do is find speaking partners, tutors, teachers in the language that you're learning so that you can actually start speaking the damn language because that is how you're going to get good at it. It still amazes me how many people complain that they, they can't speak confidently. And then when I ask them how, how much, how often they speak, it's like, well, never. Well, so you can, we can draw a clear line between the amount you speak and your degree of fluency. And so if you want to start speaking more fluently, the best way is to start actually speaking and you can do it online through uh, through italki and you can get some free credit even by going to iwillteachyourlanguage.com forward slash free lesson okay here's today's question all the way from japan hi ali uh my name is simon robinson and i live in japan where i teach english at university and i'm also a keen student of japanese um i'm a fairly advanced student. I have the JPLT uh, EQ, and I'm really working now on um, uh, developing up to a native-like competence. And I've been doing a lot of listening, an incredible amount of listening, about five hours a day, and I'm really feeling the benefit. And I want to bring this to my students. Um, I teach English at university, and I also teach once a week a Japanese uh, class to uh, beginner um, speakers of Japanese. And I'm wondering, I'm very interested in your storylines, your storytelling methodology. But I had a look and you don't have a story course for either Japanese or English, the two languages I teach. Um, so I started thinking about this. And uh, what I've been experimenting with is bringing anecdotes and just kind of telling a little anecdote and um, seeing how much the students can get from it as I repeat. And then I'm thinking perhaps to... Uh, have a kind of list of vocab items and a list of uh, grammar sort of uh, sentence patterns I want to cover and just kind of crossing them off, uh, in, not in any particular order, um, but just to kind of make sure I'm covering all the bases, uh, bases. And I'm wondering what you think of that as an idea for teaching beginners in a language um, where there isn't a, 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 a story of yours uh thanks very much for any advice you have simon thank you very much for your question uh, it's great to get questions like this because what you've asked here is, is pretty much what i spend my days thinking about you know uh, you're right that we don't have yet a japanese uncovered course although trust me uh, it's not for want of trying or thinking about it it's just it's very important for me that we get these things right and um and you know the the issue with with the, the well the, the two Asian languages that I I tend to deal with here on, on in my website which are Chinese and Japanese is that you've got a, a significant difficulty a significant d jump in difficulty from the Romance languages up to Japanese you know in in many different respects 
the language itself uh, and the distance from from English. You've got the the writing system, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, and so I, I I don't know yet. I'm not convinced yet whether the the particular format that we have for our uncovered courses will kind of translate will map on well enough to Japanese and Chinese. It's something that I'm kind of thinking through. Uh, having said that, we do have the conversations course for Japanese, which of course is not suitable for beginners. And I do also have a book of uh, English short stories for intermediate level, which you can find on uh, on Amazon. Uh, which I don't know, maybe your students. Uh, very popular in Japan, actually. That book, <laughs> funnily enough. Uh, but we are also developing out um, a book of Japanese and Chinese short stories for beginners, but that's going to be at least a year away, so um, <laughs> not much immediate use for, for you. Okay, so that's me, I guess, pitching my stuff. So <laughs> I'll, I'll stop now and get to your, your question, which is, well, let me summarize the question back to you. You know, actually, some, when I was uh, recording this episode, I, I kind of actually was really tempted to plan out a big kind of elaborate answer because there's so much to say about this topic that I wanted to make sure I did it. I did it justice. But the trouble is that this is a kind of this topic about storytelling and language learning is something that really the only way I can do it justice is by writing a, a you know, a, a book on it. So what I decided to do instead was just hit record and kind of talk off the cuff. I'm trying to react to the various things you've said and, and getting my thoughts out. So it might be a bit rambly, but hopefully this is the, the most efficient way of, uh, of kind of replying and not spending a year uh, to, to do so. So first of all, I think that the, 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 you know, if we're talking about teaching Japanese to beginner English learners, or rather te- teaching Japanese as a foreign language to to beginners who are native English speakers, which I think is what you're what you're getting at. First of all, I mean, I think it's great that you're doing that. Not least because, you know, having having lived in Japan and taken classes in Japan, the, the, if we were to generalize about the Japanese approach to teaching Japanese to foreigners, it's pretty uh, antiquated and not the best, in my opinion, in my humble but accurate opinion. And um, so I think that bringing more you know, holistic approaches to, to, to the, to the task, uh, you know, namely storytelling, I think is a fantastic thing. And so, you know, good for you for, for doing it. It must also be really, really rewarding. So let's try and work through these issues uh, one by one. So firstly, stories or anecdotes as the material or the kind of engine of the teaching. I, I think it's kind of six of one and half a dozen of the other, to be completely honest. I mean, a story can be in itself a collection of anecdotes, and within a story, for example, the story that we use, the man in the hat, which is the story that we use for the uncovered courses uh, that we have in Spanish and German and Italian in development, um, is, you know, one of the things that we're careful to do is to fuse narrative with dialogue so that it's not just descriptive stuff, which isn't always immediately practical and practically useful for, for people Um it's also a lot of a lot of, of dialogue, so people speaking, because it's the dialogue in stories which I think often get missed. And when you have plenty of dialogue within stories, that gives people kind of raw material to actually take and use in their own speaking. So, you know, anecdotes. Uh, yeah, I mean, sure, I mean, anecdotes are stories. Lots of things out there are stories. You know, if you watch a, a, a soap on a soap opera on TV, or you overhear the neighbour neighbors gossiping or someone tells you what happened today like th- these are all stories of different kinds and the things that stories have in common 
is that uh, well, that, that all these different mediums have in common is that they're all they're all based on the overarching concept of storytelling, which is what we have as humans have been using for for millennia to 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 communicate from the first cave drawings, you know, where people depicted basic things happening. We are hardwired as humans to react, relate to, understand, remember stories. And uh, so as a medium, I don't don't think it matters really whether it's an anecdote or a story. Now, of course, in general, you're going to want to try to link them up. So if we move, if you can, if you conceive of your, your, your Japanese classes as a potential series of anecdotes, then the way to kind of, there are ways to elevate that to the next level. So if there is a connection from one anecdote to the next, that's obviously better because one of the opportunities you have in storytelling is that of, of, of continuity. If you have the same characters, then you get used to, you know, you get, you get an attachment to that character. The characters tend to talk in similar ways and repeat certain vocabulary, which is useful for metaphor for, as, as a learning tool. Um, also, when you've got a storyline and a plot, then that enables you to do things like open loops within the, within the, within the narrative, which creates curiosity. And then that raises your, the student's motivation because then they want to come back and find out what happened next, uh, which is the whole basis of, of, of uh, of tv series you know they always end on a cliffhanger why because you can't stop thinking about it and you have to come back next week to to find out what uh, what happened so you know you can uh, you can try to think of your anecdotes as part of a, of a longer narrative perhaps and you know the thing about anecdotes is they, they don't necessarily have to be true they can be based on truth if you want, or you can kind of make them fictional and tell them, tell your, you know, you could tell your students stories about little anecdotes about things that happens to you in Japan um, over the years and weave it into a particular story. So the story might not be, might not be true, but the anecdotes themselves are based on, on fact. So little things that you can do to kind of uh, provide some, you know, some sense of structure serves to do something very, very important, which is to, is to motivate and interest and, and 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 captivate the students as much as possible, and and we can't underestimate the importance of motivation um, in in language learning. So, so that's that's the first point, which then brings us logically neatly onto the the question of language and how do you structure the actual language content. Now, as trained as trained teachers, um, Simon, we are like we've been indoctrinated in the whole idea of a structural syllabus, right? So which is to say that the teaching tends to be organized around grammar points. So pretty much any language learning syllabus you look at will tell you what you're going to learn by presenting you a series of grammar points that are covered in the course. But of course, you know, you don't have to go far in the, in the learning literature to understand that that is not how languages are learned. You know, if you if you want to look at this more, you can look at the the natural order hypothesis to show that it doesn't matter what order a teacher tries to teach you grammar points in you will learn those grammar points in the order that your brain wants and there's not much you can do about it so um you know i mean i'm very much of the opinion that grammar should be learned naturally as a as a result and as, as, as a consequence of exposure to the language and from your message simon I, I i can kind of get gather that you are pretty much of the same opinion because you you've talked about having a, a rough idea of the of the of the language points or the the grammar points that you want to introduce through the anecdotes but the fact that you're not totally committed to that or or even particularly bothered by it i think is a is a, is a very good sign that you're going in the right direction 
Uh, because I think as soon, the trouble is that as soon as you start to think in that way, as soon as you start to try to organise the uh, your material by by grammar, you you just get you just start to get kind of wedged into a corner where you and that leads to a series of decisions, which I think are pretty inevitably lead you away from the the true nature of the, of 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 the storytelling. And so, in my uncovered courses, for example, what I try to do the way that I designed the courses was grammar was. I mean, we do teach grammar in the courses, but it's done retrospectively. Everything works in service of the storyline. So you, we we don't write the story based on the grammar points we want to teach. We write the story first, and then we look at the story and say, okay, where are the opportunities for teaching grammar within the story? And uh, the, we have to do that in a fairly structured way because it's online courses, which are obviously pre-recorded, right? So, so. As a teacher teaching live classes, the opportunity that you've got is to actually teach in a much more reactive way. So you can teach grammar as it emerges from the from the uh, f- from the story and the student's reaction. This, I, I mean, I I'm a big fan of the unplugged or dogme uh, language sort of school of language learning. Uh, Scott Thornbury, Luke Meddings, I'm sure you're familiar with, with those guys, Simon. And, um, and it, again, it's, it's a, it's a real emphasis and focus on, on holistic learning. So I, I wouldn't really worry about the grammar at all. I mean, if you're going to struggle not to have it in your head as a trained teacher, of, of course, but as a starting point, I think that it's a very helpful experiment to actually set about this kind of thing without worrying about the grammar at all just to you know have the confidence to get started and see what emerges because with the thing about storytelling is that the students will will tell you and will guide you through the lesson uh based on their own interest and based on 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 their reactions to the story which kind of leads us to the next point which is the which is reactions now you're telling an anecdote to the students, and obviously you're going to do a good job, I'm sure, of making those anecdotes entertaining and relevant to uh, to those students. But the key element, the key ingredient in what happens is is the students' reactions, and this is something that is a key part of TPRS, which is uh, teaching languages through. Um, actually, no, what is it? Teaching, teaching proficiency through reading and storytelling. Uh, it's an, uh, a, an, an approach to teaching that's popular in the US. And uh, I'll put links to all these in the show notes, by the way. And one of the things that they emphasize is the fact that, okay, so storytelling is done in the classroom, but a key part of it, as I understand at least, is in the reactions of the students. So, you know, you ask, uh, an obvious question might be, well, if I'm telling an anecdote to beginner students, you know, how are they going to learn? How do they learn from my anecdotes? Well, obviously you've got to make it comprehensible as a starting point so you can't tell anecdotes about your 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 nuclear physics phd you've got to tell anecdotes about i went to the shop and this is what happened if you've got to grade the language to their level you've got to offer them comprehensible input but the way that they learn is by engaging with you in the storyline so you can ask comprehension checking questions to see if they have they're following the story. You can ask for their reactions, you know, in, in the in the fashion of well, what do you think happened next, or you know, would you like that if that happened to you, or do you remember that person's name? These kind of questions elicit things from the students that guide uh, that guide you to kind of assess well, have they understood it, and if so, how how well, 
And then from there, you kind of adapt your teaching. I, I think that, I mean, for me, this is the gold standard in teaching because what you, what happens then if you are doing this on a, on a regular basis, day in, day out, or at least lesson in, lesson out, then the students are just, it doesn't matter whether you've thought through the grammar or not, because what they're going to end up getting is a very, very good general overview of an exposure to the Japanese language. And I simply wouldn't, I don't, I, I, in, that, in, in that environment, I wouldn't, I wouldn't care if we could, uh, you know, specify the exact vocabulary and grammar points that they've learned, because everything that they've learned is going to be useful. And, you know, if, if certain needs, language, if certain linguistic needs emerge as a result of that activity, well, you know, fine, then teach, teach stuff, you know, you, there's always the scope and the room to teach stuff as it, um, as it comes up. The, the thing that makes this, this approach on the whole so challenging is that it really relies on the skill of the teacher. You've got to be a very confident, insightful, agile teacher to pull this off. So for an experienced teacher, I think this is that, that is precisely what makes it so fun because you're free from the constraints of uh, what I imagine you'd have to stick to in a university environment, Simon, for example, in your own case. And I certainly I remember from my teaching days that, that really the, the, the best I mean, the, the things that I remember most about teaching that were so kind of liberating and gratifying were, were when you you were free to just follow the needs of the students without worrying about what was on the syllabus. So, um, yeah, well, I think that's probably all I've got for now. I, I mean, I could go on, but those are, the, those are the main points, unless I've missed anything massive from your question. So I hope that was um, giving you some food for thought. Again, as I was listening to your question, Simon, I kind of get the idea that you are working through these ideas in your head as well. And I think the proof is in the pudding, really. I would just dive in and get started and have the have the, the courage to, to talk to your to, to try this out and also explain to the to your students what you're doing. I'd probably if I had a new class of students, I would sit down and actually tell them how I intend to teach them so that they're on board and they're not thinking because if your students are sort of sitting there thinking well where are the grammar exercises then they're not and they haven't bought into the concept then it, you're kind of limiting how effective it could be so uh talk to them explain to them what you're doing get some some buy-in to the, the teaching approach and then they will be on board and and uh and they'll feel they'll feel safe in that classroom environment as well I mean, oh, there's so much stuff I could go on for hours here, but I'm gonna I'm gonna call it a day. Thanks, Simon, thank you so much for your of your question. Please feel free to uh, leave a comment on the on the episode on the show notes to continue whichever pick up on any theme that you would like. The show notes will be at IWillTeachYourLanguage.com forward slash episode two seven zero. I'll also put a link to many of the things that I've mentioned in this episode in those in in the show notes, so you can follow up any areas of interest. Thanks for listening. Um, I'm not going to give you any recommended resources uh, as I usually do because I've just mentioned about a thousand of them. So go and check out the show notes to follow up on some of these ideas and themes that I've mentioned. I will teach you a language.com forward slash episode 270. Thank you, Simon, for your question. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Thanks also for bearing with me in this episode because I'm sure it's uh, some of these things might not be <laughs> so uh, relevant to you guys. But anyway, it is what it is. See you in the next episode.
Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. You know, one of the questions I get asked most often about language learning is how to improve your memory. Because things get so much easier when you learn new words and you don't forget them later in conversation when you really need them. So what I decided to do was to put together a, a, a short email course. It's a three-part email course over three days that teaches you my favorite techniques for memorizing vocabulary and actually putting that vocabulary into your long-term memory. It's a short course, three days, it's completely free. And if you'd like to sign up for it, please go to IWillTeachYourLanguage.com forward slash free memory course.